Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I am so glad you are here today because today is a very, very important episode. You know, a a catastrophic illness can get you really present to the things that are truly most important in your life. I'm imagining after you got that diagnosis, you would sit and say to yourself, is that email really that important? Do I really care what people think about me on social media? Is that thing that I'm complaining about that my husband is doing or my kids are doing, is it really that important? And I would guess the answer would be no. And if someone tells you that your time is limited, my question to you is, what would you change? I really want you to think about that. If you knew you had limited time because you had a diagnosed illness, what would you change in your life? My second follow-up question to that is, shouldn't that change start today? I want you to think about that and really explore that as you're listening to this week's episode. My guest today is Jen Cochran, and I'm so excited she's here today to share her message and her story. She's a TEDx speaker, she's an author, she's a movement specialist, and the main reason why she's here today is she is a cancer survivor. And what she does is she really specializes in getting people moving again after illness or injury. And she, in particular, knows all too well the importance of prioritizing your personal health and the health of a team that you might be leading in an organization. I can't tell you how many women, including myself, I'm guilty of this as well. We get busy. We wear busy as a badge. And we put our personal health and wellness on the back burner. I'll get to the workout after I get all this other stuff done. I'll, you know, meal plan. I'll cook a healthy meal. But instead, we're driving through McDonald's with our kids because our schedule is crazy busy. The reality is we need to listen to those whispers that whisper to us to tell us to take better care of our health. We need to listen to those whispers that tell us there might be something wrong. And my whisper, actually it's not a whisper, it's a shout out, is please, ladies, go get your mammogram. If you haven't done it this year, please schedule your mammogram. I will tell you, I had fallen behind on my mammogram. and. Jen was an inspiration for me to get mine scheduled. So I got mine scheduled. And two weeks after our interview, I had my mammogram complete. So Jen gives us a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom today and shares her story about her experience being a cancer survivor. But if you take one thing from today's episode, please listen to that whisper inside. And please, ladies, go get your mammogram. I beg you to go get your mammogram. Take care of yourself. Make that a priority and check that off your list. It's a great thing to be checked off your list. All right, so let's dive into my conversation with Jen Cochran and how she survived cancer and how in doing so, she is making an impact in so many other people's lives because as she says, surviving is just the beginning. So let's dive into the conversation. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, 
I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Jen, I am so glad you're here today to talk to my audience. Your your story is powerful, and I can't wait to dive in. So thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I would love for you just to start out and dive right in with talking a little bit about um, your career background and give us a little bit of history about yourself. So I have a very interesting kind of career background. I started out in technology. So I was a tech project manager for two plus decades. And back in 2005, I was super burnout. And I found a grad program where I could do that um, full time. And my tuition was paid for with a grant. Wow. And it was in my area that I was working in. Um, it was actually a master's in education, and I was a technical trainer. And it, this particular program was, like, really attuned to that kind of, like, online learning. So while I was doing that, I got certified as a Pilates instructor because, you know, I had Fridays off. And why wouldn't you just <laughs> do something totally out of left field? But at the time, you couldn't get certified in a weekend program. You had to go and be mentored. Okay. And it was a a lot of in-person time. And it was during the week. So it was something I had been interested in from a personal perspective, but didn't have the time to do when I had a, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday job. I never anticipated that it would become a career. But at the same time, I worked in a health club for coffee money. So I could justify going to Starbucks and not have a job. (laughs) So (laughs) they had a Pilates studio. So I started teaching there part time. And when I finished my graduate degree in nine months, I started teaching on the side. And then I ultimately put a studio on my house. And I'm also a yoga practitioner. And I got certified in that because, you know, when we want to learn something, better we teach. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And that club that I worked at had one of the owners had lost her mom to colon cancer. So they had a special membership at the club for cancer survivors and people undergoing cancer treatment. So I had I worked with a lot of cancer survivors and cancer patients very early in my teaching of movement. Interesting. And then when I did a mentorship, in a master training in Pilates, I focused on breast cancer and working with breast cancer survivors. So when I became a cancer survivor, I had a lot of information. I was a really weird patient. Yeah. So that's exactly why we're what we're going to talk about today is you know you and I met in a mastermind and uh, which I love and that's a whole other story for another day but I just love being in proximity with women who are literally doing amazing work and changing the world and 
you know, it's been such a nice uh, way out of corporate. You know, it's just yeah. so amazing to just be surrounded in so many different circles by amazing women doing amazing things. But the one thing that has become really clear to me as I've been doing podcast episodes with, you know, women in corporate, women with their own businesses, women in leadership, high achieving women is many of them are burnt out. They're in the hospital. Um, I had a 33-year-old on that literally almost passed away because of health issues, because women are literally working themselves into the ground. And we are putting everyone else first. We're putting work first and we're putting our health on the back burner. So when I heard your story in the mastermind, I was compelled. You had to be on the show. So, so Jen, take us back, you know, tell us about the pivotal day that you landed um, a cancer diagnosis. So this was really interesting because in a lot of ways, I, I had been that person in corporate and not prioritizing the, you know, annual physicals and all of those things. And at the time of my diagnosis, I was 43 and I was in the best shape of my life. Like wow. the best. My cholesterol was down 40 points. I had been diagnosed celiac the year prior and had been gluten and dairy free for a year. My sports, I was a runner. My sports performance was like the best it had ever been. And, but I had this like tap, I was getting this tap on the shoulder like, you need to go get a mammogram. Like something's off. Mm. And I had been in the doctor's office in March for a sinus infection. And I asked on my way out, I forgot to ask her, I asked my way out and I said, oh, can I get my order for my mammogram? And they said, oh, we'll have her write it and call you. And then they called me and said, oh, you can't have that until April, which was not true. They should have given it to me. I had not had, I was over 40 and I hadn't had a mammogram. There was no reason they didn't just give it to me right there. Mm-hmm. But I went in in April and she looked, I had all my blood work and everything done and she did an exam and didn't feel anything. I hadn't felt anything. I just had this whisper, just this whisper saying, get a mammogram. So she gave me the order. She's like, you're in great shape. I'll see you in a year. I walked out. I went home. First thing I did was call, schedule my mammogram. I had it two days later. As I was leaving the mammogram, the girl said, well, you know. It's really common with first mammograms to get a call back. Oh, wow. To which I thought, oh, she saw something. Mm-hmm. So that was a Friday. On Monday, I got a postcard in the mail saying, contact us. We want to do further investigation. So then I called on Tuesday morning, got an appointment for Wednesday, went in, had an ultrasound. The radiologist came in and said, See these three spots? These basically, in medical terms, she said, these have a blood supply. I don't like what this looks like. Mm. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, okay. Yep, I see them. Like, I see them. And it just happened that my cycle was starting. So it was more, they were more obvious than they were the week prior. Yeah. So when I had my physical, they weren't as obvious as they were in that timing. 
And so she said she wanted me to go for an MRI. And in someone my age, it's generally, if it's bad, it's generally aggressive. She didn't want me to wait. Like she was really emphasizing the not waiting. And I said, um, I'm, I looked at my watch and I said, I'm free now. Like, is the machine open? I'll just go hop over there. <laughs> like, I'll go get in there now. That's fine. I'm good with it. Like, I, I don't need to wait. Yeah. And which you can't. You Insurance has to approve it. It's a five-day right. approval process. Um, so I was like, okay. She's like, we'll get you scheduled. Um, and the weird thing is no one ever told me I had cancer. No one ever said the words, you have cancer. Are you serious? And as I told people, I never used the words. And a friend of mine, as I was telling this small group of ladies that I meet with monthly, I was telling them that I was getting ready to have surgery. And the way that I told the story was that I was having a procedure and I was getting an upgrade. And I like motioned (laughs) that I was getting an upgrade. (laughs) And everybody laughed. And then I said, that's medically necessary. And then that landed. And then somebody asked me, if it was breast cancer. And my friend said, isn't it interesting how she didn't say the C word? Mm. Like she just told us without saying it. And it was in that moment that I said, you know, it's really interesting. No one has said that to me. But when I went in for my biopsy, so I had the MRI. And as soon as I had the MRI, I called the surgeon that I wanted to go see. I knew who I wanted to see. And I got on her calendar. And then I stalked her. I called every morning to get, because it was like 10 days that I had to wait for an appointment. So I got my MRI. My MRI was on Tuesday. I got my results on a Friday. Monday, I had everything piled up and at the door ready to go. Monday morning, I called at 845 and said, do you have any openings? And they said, oh, where are you located? And I said, I'm like five minutes down the road. And they said, we had a cancellation at nine. Can you come over? And I was like, yes. And I called my husband. He was like, I'm leaving work, which he was not my husband at the time. That's a whole nother story. But when when she walked into the room and we were discussing, I had my MRI. My MRI said I had a 95% chance of malignancy. Now, because of what I do in the movement world and because I call in a lot of people with a lot of weird stuff, I read a lot of MRIs. So I understood what my, I understood everything in my MRI. Right. So when I walked in, she said, I told her that I was just going to take them off and get an upgrade. That I had already decided I was taking them off and getting an upgrade. And she laughed. And she said, well, let's see what we're dealing with. And I said, well, I read my MRI. And I have three spots on the left side. And I'm barely a B. Like, a lumpectomy of three small spots. I don't care how small they are. There's not going to be anything left. Like, the left side's coming off, regardless of what you find. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, your MRI wasn't pretty. And I said, "All all you're finding out today is what flavor this is. And she said, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. So Jen, so Jen, I want to pause you there because, you know, I, and I, cause I really want my listeners to 
I really want everyone to listen in as you continue your story, because throughout your whole story, and this is why I'm having, again, why I'm having you on the show, not only to share your story, to not only to, you know, build awareness out there for all of my female listeners, but to, for everyone to really hear, first of all, you followed your gut. Yeah. You know, I think so many times as women, we, we hear that gut, we hear that whisper, we put it aside or someone, you know, or we hear the whisper and someone tells us something that doesn't agree with the whisper. And so we put it aside or we're afraid of being judged because we follow the whisper. So we put it aside. And there's all these reasons why we don't listen to that damn whisper, which is literally 99% of the time totally accurate. So not only did you listen to yourself, but throughout this entire story, and I haven't even heard all these details. I mean, I heard the top line, but uh, you know, the throughout your entire story is you advocating for yourself. You not listening to other people telling you what is going to happen or what they want to happen. It was you did the research, you stalked the doctor, you advocated for yourself. The whole your whole story is about advocacy for yourself. And so I'll let you continue on, but I just want my listeners to listen with that mindset and that perspective because it's so important. It is. And one of the things that I have even more so found to be true, and and a lot of times when I socialize this, I, I do it from the perspective of we put too much pressure on our doctors. Mm, that's we, interesting. We put too much pressure on our doctors to have all the answers. Because they don't have all the answers. They're human beings. <laughs> yeah. They're human yeah. beings. Like, and my doctor, my surgeon, she, when she stepped out of the room five minutes after we met her, my husband looked at me and said, is it too early to say I like her? And I laughed and said, no, I like her too. Like, and I knew uh, I had a client who was a 10-year cancer survivor at the time, and it was her surgeon. I knew who I wanted to use because I knew how her doctors had treated her. Mm-hmm. And she was 10 years out and her oncologist had just cut her loose to see him once a year. Wow. Yeah, he was that kind still of seeing yeah. her. And I wanted that. I was 43 years old. My grandmother was 100 and a half at the time. Um, she passed away while I was in treatment. And I said to my oncologist when I met him, he said, we're going to throw everything out this because you're young and you have a lot of years left. And my job is to preserve those years left. And I said, yes, I, I according to my grandmother, I have 57 years left. Like, <laughs> like I have a lot of years left. My grandmother was very healthy for the most part, like. I have a lot of I have a lot of years left. Like that was my attitude going in and yeah. I can't emphasize enough like a positive attitude isn't the thing that solves the problem. The positive attitude is the thing that allows us to take the actions that we need or to take different actions, to go out for a walk when we feel not great. Mm-hmm. or to just get some movement or to just do a bit of work, not a lot of work, 
but a bit of work, like just to kind of stay in in the place. And I've heard people all through at all different levels of their journey, some like continued to work full bore. Some tried to work full bore for like 20 minutes and then they were like, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for me, like when I started down that path, I really took the perspective of the doctors are there to guide me and to treat me, but they don't have all the answers. And I tend to be that person who, if there's a 10% side effect that happens to, you know, less than 10% of the people, that's me. And I had a lot of weird things. I mean, I had a sinus infection for 10 months. Oh, wow. That kept being discounted. Right. No, this treatment doesn't cause that. Right. So we don't know. It's not the treatment. And I was like, well, I didn't have this problem before I had the treatment. So I think it's the treatment. Like, it happens every three weeks. Every three weeks, you give give me a three-hour infusion. And then... Within a week, I have a sinus infection. I think it's you. <laughs> so, so tell us. So, you end up? Did you end up having the uh, mastectomy and the reconstruction? Yes. So, I had a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. Um, I had surgery first, so I did have two positive lymph nodes. So, I had nine lymph nodes taken out. I am a little bit of an evangelist about lymphedema. Um, I'm a lymphedema therapist. I became a lymphedema therapist um, after going through this process. Um, so, Jen, I, what does that what does that mean for uh, those of uh, those of us, including myself, that don't know what yes. that means? So, I have low grade lymphedema. Your lymphatic system is like pockets of collection. Like, think of it as, like, trash cans, collections of trash cans throughout your body that process waste, and it's part of your immune system. Okay. So it moves fluid and processes waste out of your body. It works in conjunction with your circulatory system. So if you think of the trash cans, like, in the area near your armpit, there's between 20 and 30 for women. They don't really know. Everybody's different. There's no good way to check. Nobody knows how many lymph nodes they have in a particular area. Like when you feel your neck, when you have a cold or the flu and you feel your neck and you have swollen glands, those are your lymph nodes. That's one pocket, one area. It's collecting up whatever that infection is and it's clearing it out of your body. Well, when you have them removed, you now have a deficiency, right? If you had 10 buckets or 20 buckets bringing water to a fire and then you take 10 people away you only have half the buckets i never thought about that before yeah yeah Yeah. so it's the same principle Mm -hmm. um i'm also a bad scarer so since i have a scar in that place from where they took the lymph nodes out to test them um that's a it's a sign that the cancers move beyond the immediate area so when I had my MRI, my tumors looked less than two centimeters, and it didn't look like there was any lymph node involvement. My lymph nodes are really small. I was re- very fit. So my lymph nodes were small. I had two lymph nodes that tested positive. Um, so they took a total of nine. So 
when you start out with 20 to 30 and they take away nine. Yeah. I may have a half to two thirds, hard to say. So I get a swelling, like the fluid backs up in my arm. So mm-hmm. I wear a sleeve. I have massage techniques that I use. Um, scarring can have the same effect. People that have radiation, it can cause scarring. If you think of scar, a scar like scar tissue that's um, thick, like it just can be like a, blo- a blockade and block yeah. how the fluid moves through your body. So you're having a... Uh, obviously, you you know you you're scheduling surgery. You're ha- you're you know you're getting you're going to doctor's appointments. You're you're advocating for yourself. You're doing everything you need to do. Interestingly enough, like you said, you know, no one said to you you have cancer. So, when was the moment that you realized it, or that you started saying it? And my follow up question to that is, what did you go through emotionally once you realized that? So. First person that I told that was outside of my immediate family um, was a client, and I used the word cancer, like that I was having a bilateral mastectomy. At that time, we didn't even know that I needed anything beyond surgery, and she had a really emotional reaction, which was why I stopped socializing it that way and started telling it as a joke. Interesting. Because I was able to short circuit the emotional response and spend less time supporting others responses. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk and we'll talk to, we'll talk about that too. Yeah. So initially it looked very very early and I was thinking all I was going to potentially all I needed was surgery and that would be it. Um that ended up not being the case. I did end up needing chemotherapy. Um, if my oncologist had had his druthers, I would have also done radiation because of my age. So it really wasn't until the week before my surgery. So I'd gone through all that in April. I had my doc- end of April. I had my doctor's appointment. By mid-May, I was diagnosed with biopsy results. And I couldn't have my surgery until June 30th. So it was another like six weeks. Oh, wow. And it was six weeks from the date that we actually got it on the calendar. And a week before my surgery, the hospital called and said, um, after 45-minute intake, (laughs) said that they didn't accept my insurance, but they were thrilled to host my surgery. And I was like, excuse me? Seriously? And I said, um, why did you not lead with that? You just wasted both of our time. Because there's no way I'm having this surgery at your facility. Like, there are right. four hospitals that I can, like, throw a, throw a rock at. <laughs> and you're not even the closest one. So that was the first time that I really had an emotional response. Because I was like, oh, my God, I've waited. I have been waiting. And now a week out, am I going to have to wait another six weeks to get an OR at a place that takes my insurance? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. And so that resulted in a not very friendly voice message left for my surgeon's nurse. 
And then I called my plastic surgeon's office and they always answer the phone. And they literally had the problem resolved in 10 minutes. Really? I was 30 minutes later at the hospital right up the street, but the same day. Oh, that's amazing. So I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm not going to yell at anybody anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard, right? I mean, you're going through... You're going through your own emotional um, reaction to this news and you're trying to deal with it. And then you're trying to, you know, I think as women, it's hard for us anyway to ask for help and to ask for support. Yes. And so here you are, you know, finally getting, you know, getting support and then, but it's not the right kind of support. It's not what you need. It's not when you need it. And then that becomes frustrating. It's like, you know, here I am just even... It's a lot to ask for, and then it's not being done correctly. That's hard. It's hard. And so you you have surgery. You come out of surgery. Um, how did you feel? It was really interesting. When I came out of my surgery, I felt, and I share this with people who are getting ready to have the surgery, the last time I had been in a hospital prior to my surgery was after a car accident. If you have ever had a car accident where you have seatbelt bruising and like seatbelt upper body trauma, that's what it felt like. And really, it wasn't really much worse than that. Like I never took pain medication. I think I took some Tylenol. Um, Mm -hmm. I took some Tylenol after three days. You can switch back to Advil because everything's kind of like closed. So I was very fortunate. Um, I didn't have a lot of pain. But the interesting thing about that first night in the hospital, because I just had one overnight stay. uh, It's observation. It's not even considered an admittance. Um, But my surgery was in the afternoon and it was delayed. So I wasn't rolled back to like 3.30. So it was like midnight. I was getting out of bed for the first time. And the last time I had been there, I had a knee injury. And I couldn't stand. And I'd had that same upper body trauma from the car accident. So I was Mm. sitting on the side of the bed, like frozen. So in my mind, I'm like, why are you not moving? Like, what is this doesn't seem that bad. Like, and I was literally just like frozen on the side. And then you've got tons of things attached to you. There's drains and IVs. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you have to manage. And so I'm sitting there and then I literally said out loud, your knee is fine. Stand up. Mm. And I stood up and my husband looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the last time I was in a hospital, I couldn't stand. Interesting. And that like feeling just came back. It was very weird. Yeah. But that idea of like. If you've ever been in a car accident and had like that upper body trauma, that's kind of what it feels like when you wake up. And nearly everyone that I've given that example to is like, oh, when I woke up, that was totally how I felt. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm okay. Interesting. So that's been an interesting thing as well. Yeah. And so you you touched on it and I, I really want to touch on it is, you know, here you are, you're having your own experience with cancer. You go through surgery and then you started to say, and we'll, we'll dive more into it about how you kind of were tailoring what you shared based on other people's reactions. And, you know, what I'll bring up, um, I talked about it 
in the intro. But what I talk about now is, you know, you you've started a podcast, um, The Unspoken Cancer Truths, um, to really not only help advocate for women going through cancer, but also to educate people and and their extended family and friends about how to deal with their loved one's cancer diagnosis. And so, you know, share with us a little bit about, um, because unfortunately at this point, you know, most of us know, you know, one, two, three, or five people in our lives, um, or we have friends of friends, especially if we have, you know, all of us have big girlfriend circles. Um, we know someone that has cancer or someone that has breast cancer. So share with us, you know, kind of your experience on, on other people's responses, you know, how you felt like you had to basically bear the weight of their burden of the response. Um, and talk to me about how people can be more supportive and what things people should or should not say when their friend gets a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, that's such an interesting topic. I shared my diagnosis with people who were in my immediate circle, like clients and people in groups and things that I belong to. And I was really careful to kind of process where I was before I talked about it in a kind of larger forum. And I had published a an email or a blog where I was basically telling the wider group of people in my sphere about my cancer, which was after my surgery, but before my chemo started. And my mom texted me on a Sunday morning and said, can you send me the link to your blog? The people at the table next to us at the cafe need it. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, their daughter-in-law I still to this day have no idea how this conversation even came to pass between them because it was not people they knew. Right. But their daughter-in-law had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she didn't want anyone to know. And she said, my mom said, she said that people will judge her. And I, and she said, I told them that wasn't true. And I said, you would be wrong. And she said, what? And I said, everybody's judging her. And I said, it doesn't come from a bad place. It's not malicious judgment. But when someone hears that someone, especially a younger person, has cancer, they want to know why it's happening. Interesting. And the reality is that most of the time we don't know. Like, we don't know why at the in the best shape of my life... I had breast cancer and why it was stage 2B. And I was current with my doctor's appointments. I was yeah, seemingly doing all the right things. I was had been gluten and dairy free for you know, 4 years at that point. And and why do you think people have such a need to know why? Because they don't want to have it happen to them. Mm. Yeah. I really I mean that's my That's my thinking. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. So people will ask questions like, have you changed your diet? Do you exercise more? Interesting. Like, why do you think this is happening? And Right. Do you you have a a history, a family history? Right. I'm sure that. Yeah. Yeah. And people ask 
all those questions. And it's very innocent. And as the person receiving those questions over and over and over and over, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, no, like this doesn't have to do with my diet. It didn't have to do. Now, absolutely. Diet matters. Exercise matters. All those things are great. And they help us to be healthy and be the best that we can absolutely be. Reducing our stress. Super, super important. But the kind of breast cancer I had came from, originated in the ducks. It could have originated in the ducks 10 years prior when I was in tech working 16-hour days. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of spilling out and becoming a thing. It's very hard to say. Yeah. So what what is it that, what is it ideally you would want to share with people about what to say when someone says, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer? What is a great response? <laughs> I would say a good response is to listen, like to listen, to acknowledge what you've been told and to listen to what, and oftentimes people don't know what they need. Like many, many people will say, I want to help. How do I help? And, And I actually shared a resource with you that will give people ideas. Because I didn't know what I needed. And I had worked with tons of survivors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just to clarify, we'll put that in the show notes. It's um, asking for help is hard. Um, and it doesn't have to be nine ways to ask for, give, and receive help. So that'll be in the show notes for everyone. Um, and thank you for sharing that with my audience. Oh, I'm happy to. It was definitely something that, um, and being celiac, People didn't cook for us, but I hear a lot of other people say, oh my gosh, I had, I got so much food and my, my husband and kids are picky and I couldn't Mm. eat it. Like, right. But definitely I think listening, it can be hard because I mean, uh, we host podcasts. We are probably painters and not pointers. We paint you a picture. If you ask us a question, we want to fill the space. Like. Leaving the space open and quiet feels hard. And sometimes that's just they need someone to listen or they don't want to talk about it or they have no idea how they feel. I think the context in which you're receiving the information also matters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, tell us about how you are now. Jen, and where are things out with you? What's your journey been like? So I will say we spent a lot of time on like the diagnosis and treat, teeny fraction of the treatment portion. But I really, my Facebook group is called Surviving is Just the Beginning because we go through this whole treatment phase. And I said earlier, like doctors are amazing they're humans and their goal is to treat you. And then you finish treatment and they're like, see you in three months. And you're like, what? Well, what do you mean? Like, I've been coming here once a week. Why, why am I not seeing you for three months? What, what am I supposed to do between now and then? And it's a very weird, it's a very weird feeling. Like, that was probably the next time that I sort of had an unexpected reaction. And I hear that really commonly from people. 
I actually had more challenges later in my journey when I was more to the survivorship side because I had a really bad allergic reaction to a maintenance medication they wanted me taking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I finally had to say no. And then after I said no, I put together why I actually was having that reaction, um, which still seems to be baffling to my team. (laughs) Um, But basically, I'm celiac and I have a gluten allergy and there was gluten in the medication and there's there's gluten in a lot of the medications. And doctors aren't 100% clear about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the effects that it has on our bodies are, and that was where I really had to advocate and say, something is terribly wrong with me. Like, I made it through all these other things. Like, I didn't gain any weight like you wanted me to. And, like, I did all the things. And then I was having this really bad reaction, which I am in a fantastic place now. It took my doctor about a year to agree that that medication was okay. I wasn't taking that medication. Um, so now I'm I'm good. I do all my maintenance. I have 800 different doctors that I see every year. <laughs> I have a cardiologist. And, <laughs> and how long have you been cancer-free at this point? In April, it will be Five years since my diagnosis. And diagnosis is, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The diagnosis date is actually the date that they use, like the anniversary date that they use. So, okay. 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 Perfect. And what is, you know, what is your main lesson? What is your main message that you really want to share with my audience based on everything that you've gone through? So, you touched on it earlier about how we, hear the whispers, and we kind of shush them. And then they start to get more and more insistent, and we, like, put them in a closet or <laughs> otherwise try to silence them. And And I tell massage therapy clients the exact same thing. Like, if you came to me when you tweaked your neck and it started to become hard to turn your head, like... If you had come to me when you first started having discomfort, we could have taken care of this in an, in an hour. The fact that you can't move your head at all to the right, like this is going to take a little bit of time. So if we listen to our body when it whispers, we do not have to hear it scream. That's such a great point. That's such a great point. Yeah. And, and trust have- your whispers. Yeah. And I know you and I also talked about, you know, like a catastrophic illness really makes you present to the things yes. that are important in life. You know, we, you and I shared, you know, like most likely that email can wait. That deadline isn't so important, right? It brings perspective, um, you know, and you brought out so eloquently when we were talking, you know, if if someone told you that your time is limited, how would you change? How would you start living differently? And, you know, my question to the audience is, why aren't you doing that now? You know, every day is such a gift to all of us, right? And I think so many of us put off happiness and put off joy and put off fulfillment and put off just enjoying our lives on a daily basis because we're so busy checking boxes and achieving and moving forward and 
And then one day you wake up at 43 with a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, we're busy with the busy. (laughs) Right. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and being here and um, helping my listeners, um, you know, really just connect with knowing that, you know, we should all be more present. We should listen to those whispers. And also, I think the big takeaway for me, which I never realized, is that, you know, I love when you talk about um, surviving is just the beginning and just the ongoing support and community that's needed for that. Yes. And I want to just put this out there really quickly. So you were asking, like, the response when people share the information. And what I would say is even more important than that. When someone's on the other side of treatment, life gets really lonely. Like lots of people show up when you're in, originally diagnosed and in treatment. And then people think, oh, treatment's over. She's good. She's fine. Yeah. And people start to disappear. And some people, you don't, it's a weird, it's a weird time. Like some people you expect to show up can't show up for whatever reason and then other people you never expected show up and then start to fall away so check in on on your people like check in with them hey how's it going what are you up to yeah even months you know months later years later you know what i hear is that you know you still need that and it's still important yes so jen thank you for being on the show today thank you for sharing your story and thank you for being such an inspiration and such a support to to other cancer survivors and um, people that have just been diagnosed. So I will have all of your information in the show notes where people can reach out to you um, and connect with you and join your Facebook group and your podcast as well. So, you know, thank you for just being so giving with uh, with your story and your experience to help others. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. If anyone knows a survivor or a caregiver who would like to share their story, that's really what my my podcast is all about. So definitely reach out. Great. Thanks, Jen. Take care and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Oh,